Uh, Mark, I used to work in a bank, just like uh, Christine does in the movie, in today's movie. Um, like Christine, I also had an old lady ask me for help once. Um, she came into the bank and asked if I'd check her balance, so I, I pushed her over. You are now listening to the You Run podcast, the only horror movie review podcast completely run and controlled, not by me and Mark, your hosts, but by you, our listeners. Hey, Scoob, we're on the radio, bro. You want to die tonight? Zoinks. <laughs> you choose the movies. You score them. You review them. You do it all. Because after all, this is not our show. This is your show. I'm your number one fan, Mr. Man. It's not perfect. It has its problems. The You Run Podcast. It was just weird. I don't know. It gets like a weird vibe. The You Run Podcast. Bitch, you better not forget about me. Don't you ever forget about me. Hey, this is Naomi Grossman, best known as Tucker from American Horror Story. Hi, it's Imitation Dave. You son of a bitch. Just make sure you fucking listen. This was fucking incredible. He's the one you need to blame. Hello, welcome to the You Run podcast. My name is Scott. My name is Mark. And each week we take you through the movies you have selected for review. Uh, this week we're diving deep into Sam Raimi's catalog, back catalogue of movies. Uh, in my opinion, one of his best movies. Um, don't worry, though, you need to buckle in very, very tight. Last week, I was struggling with um, with the effects of COVID. I'm now fully fit and back to my normal annoying pain in the ass self. So hold on tight. Um, before we get into that... It's that time of the week. It's time for Mark to recommend an account. This week's account is... Casket in the Crypt, all one word, no undercases or anything like that. Um, this is an account that specialises in unique and custom patches, pins, flags. Um, you can find her account on Instagram. If you go on there, you'll find the link for her Etsy store where you can purchase any of the fantastic products she puts on display there. Um, obviously, as you can imagine, with this being a horror podcast, the majority of her products are horror-related. The, the attention to detail that she has with her badges and pins and stuff is fantastic. So go check it out, pick some of the gear up, show some love. So sounds like a plan to me. Um, what was the account again? It's Casket in the Crypt. Casket in the Crypt. Right, okay. I will add that to my list of people to follow because I only follow who you tell me now. Uh, <laughs> is that how this uh, works? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm doing this now because I don't now need to troll and look for, for accounts to follow. You can do all the work for me and I just follow who you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week, as I said last week, we're joined by a guest. Um, our guest today is the former member of a thrash metal band, uh, a former law clerk uh, for New York County Defenders, uh, and now a best-selling author uh, of multiple books, including uh, The Influencer and Black River Lantern. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Alex Grass. Thanks for having me, guys. Very happy to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled you were on the show. Um, we said before we started recording, I've been talking to, uh, is it your agent, your publish, publisher? Uh, Gordon's my P uh, PR guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's uh, the man. I, I always like, he, 
he ends up um, getting to know everybody before I do. And I was just like, I tell people afterward, you know, I, I asked you, I said, did you talk to him? He's very cool, very cool guy. Yeah, r- really cool guy, r- really friendly, really helpful as well. And I, I've dealt with a lot of like, uh, we'll call them like publicist type people. Um, out of all the ones I've dealt with, he is definitely one of the coolest. He's like really laid back. He's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Nothing's a stress for him. Yeah, he's super atypical for a, for a PR guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I- I'm going to start this with a question that I'm sure you're asked a lot. Uh, thrash metal to law. How did that transition happen? Wow, uh, long winding road. So um, I guess, you know, like, I was a kind of a difficult kid for a long time, and I never uh, quite got it together until um, later on. So, you know, when I was in, I guess, like junior high, uh, I discovered heavy metal, and it totally changed my life. You know, and uh, I, you know, I I actually got on pretty well in school. I wasn't like. Um, an outsider or anything, but I, I just, I had sort of like an oppositional view of, um, I guess, like the re- regular school culture, my community's culture, and, you know, um, whatever the, st- the standard for uh, American culture was at the time, I just like, something told me to, to fuck that. And uh, I got older and I started getting in trouble, you know, like, um, me and uh, my other friend, uh, Justin, uh, we got arrested when I was like 17, maybe even 18, um, because we stole uh, a motorcycle out of the back of, um, of somebody's uh, yard. There's sort of like, like a dirt alleyway that cuts between these, um, I guess you call them row homes in, um, in uh, Tinicum County, like right outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah, and we uh, had the bad fortune of choosing, like, the I believe it was the former Tennessee County Police Chief's house to steal from. So, <laughs> yeah. So we got caught, like, in seven fucking seconds, you know? <laughs> and, like, we got pulled over in an Arby's, and uh, we were not smart. I didn't even have a tarp. I was driving a pickup truck. It was a tiny pickup truck, Chevy S10, and, like, the handle was sticking Basically, because we had it, the, the bike propped um, uh, down uh, sideways on the bed, because how else would you have it? But the handle sticks basically up above the cab roof, because the Chevy has 10 very small trucks. And like the second we got pulled over, I mean, they were pissed, man. You know, like, they were like, cops do not cotton to you screwing with one of their own. They, I mean, we were young, but like they had the, they had, pistols drawn you know? <laughs> shit yeah they were they were real mad you know <laughs> and, and like it was it was actually pretty scary because my friend justin like the like i was watching him and justin was not the type he'd been arrested before i've been arrested before you know but like no one's neither one of us are the type to try and start something do something you know and the cops like pointing his pistol at him and screaming like don't move. Stop moving. Uh, and Justin's like, I swear to you, I'm not moving. If you move again, I will shoot. And I was just like, I'm, I also want to put in 
uh, word edgewise, I see that he's not moving. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> so that set off um, uh, a whole sort of like, I don't know, tour around the world. My, uh, my, my mom was also in, in the, the uh, Montgomery County District Attorney's Office at the time, so it was like an unholy fucking embarrassment to her <laughs> when, the, when this stuff would happen, and it would happen not too infrequently either. And so she said, like, what are you going to do with your life? And um, I said, oh, I don't know. I mean, I had family in Israel, so I'm like, I'll go to Israel, you know. You know, I went over there. And, um, I, yeah, I played some music, but basically, basically I just kind of like got hammered and literally whored around. Like it was, um, I don't know, like the golden age of prostitution in Tel Aviv, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, like they used to have these pretty incredible places, you know, I've sort of like mimicked this in, in the book, um. And it was just like kind of like a movie. Be sitting on like these big fucking red velour couches, and they had, you know, um, like people serving drinks, and you know, you could, you would like pick a. a I mean, it's pretty. You know, it was dark, but it was also pretty cool. And most things that are very dark have an element of seediness. Like, um, I, I think these days that's one of the things that's like wrong with some of the fringe culture like um not just horror but comedy it's like these people have lost sight of like how the wrongness is has a, a fundamental appeal you know at like an elemental level like the wrongness of horror was what pushed it forward um you know like the taboo and things like that but um i get you know so like that, that, that couldn't last too long that's the thing you know? Yeah, that's a that's a short-lived pursuit. I think even at like eighteen, you understand that like going to whorehouses and drinking and drugging can't be a profession. You know, there's no health insurance. Although, I guess like because there's like the there's a national health registry in Israel too, so you could, you could argue that there is health insurance for whoremongers, but you know that's like semantics. Yeah. <laughs> Are we, are we weighing up the benefits here? Is this what we're doing? Yeah, yeah I mean, kind of like, I'm like, I'm looking back, I'm like, you know what, I've never looked at this from like an economic standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, how did you take the leap from that into being a law clerk? How does that jump happen? That's, that's a big leap. We're not talking of working like in a law office as an admin guy and then taking a jump to a law clerk. We're going from full on every law you could possibly break, you're breaking to jumping into being a law clerk. That's a big step. Well, um, I think, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, you know, I got home and, uh, you know, I came back to America. I'm like, wow, I got to put my shit in, in order. <laughs> the life that I'm living is unacceptable. I will start studying the LSAT and I will be a law clerk. Uh, and then you abandoned all of that and you went to writing books and very successfully writing books. And judging on what you've said, I'm guessing you draw a lot from your your life experiences into your work. My life experiences 
my brother's life experiences. My my brother right under me has uh, a wife that makes me look uh, like a member of the uh, you know the Mormon Church. I'd love to hear some of his stories. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> his stories are amazing. Amazing. You know, he was he was a he was a collector for a bookie in Eastern Europe. You know, he was he was in um uh, in Border Patrol in the Gaza Strip, and like one time they had him dress up like a woman. You know, um. It, it, that was pretty incredible to me. The short answer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> short answer, yeah. I'm drawn. I'm drawn. <laughs> um, what brought you to horror? What was it that made you go down that route? Because you've written, what have you written there? You've released four books or five? Four. Four. And you're about to release your fifth. Pretty soon. We're working yeah. On yeah. Um, I had almost no interest in horror until four years ago. Um, I, I did, as a, when I was a kid, uh, I, I look back on it, I definitely, I guess, had the, um, the fundamentals, you know, like, um, you know, I would definitely know who, like, Jason Voorhees was and, and, and um, Mike, Mike Myers, and, like, I guess there were pop culture uh, touchstones that uh, themselves enjoyed horror that I knew about as a kid, like Rob Zombie and, and you know, like Quentin Tarantino. So like in a tertiary way, it would reach me. Um, and my favorite movie, just like pure coincidence, I did not watch much horror, but my favorite movie has been for a long time, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Great movie. Yeah, I call it, I call it 12 Angry Men with Aliens. Yeah, <laughs> they should put that on the DVD box. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's like it's as close to a, a perfect movie as you get. But yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I, I'll I'll agree with that. It's so well written and so well conceived that it, there's not very many horror movies that will keep you guessing all the way through, and even at the end, keep you guessing whether they finished the thing off or not. Right, right, and it's it's so. It's so rich, like the the characters are so rich. You understand immediately, like who the characters are. You understand exactly, and like the setting is so perfect. It's like what is more horror than like the the dawning winter in, in an Arctic setting? You know, it's going to be dark and cold all the time. You know, um, and it's it's just angry drunk dudes stuff yeah. taking place so it's not it's not like a recipe for you know like they're not doing icebreakers and team building exercises <laughs> no they're, they're definitely not <laughs> and, and there was and there wasn't exactly you know like a sturdy hr department at the time you know so no yeah no there's definitely there's definitely no hr department in anything in the 80s at all hr did yeah. not exist in the 80s exactly <laughs> hr did not but what happened was four years ago, and I've talked about this a bunch. So on the on the off, I say this a lot on the off chance that anyone is hearing me again. I apologize for running through it again. But four years ago, I quit drinking, and 
long and short of it is like I had a um, complete. I wouldn't even it's it, 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 it's it's not even reversal, but like just like a, a a series of revolutions in my mind until I got to the point where I was thinking completely differently about everything, and um, I became. I read Doctor Sleep, which has a recovery theme, you know, because Daniel Tor- Torrance, you know, Jack Torrance's kid is like a severe alcoholic, and yep. part of that story is, you know, like like most people will probably be familiar from you know, Mike Van Flanagan's uh, Doctor Sleep. Flanagan's really something. Yeah. Um, but like that book, I don't know. It affected me in like a way I had not been affected by anything since I was, you know in the stage of life where you could still be um, thrown and warped by art, you know, uh, from, you know, 10 to 15 or something. And so it got me more interested in the genre and um, obsessively so, you know, but it wasn't just the books. It was just like, I was carrying around a notebook with me, like a tiny little notebook. And just like, I found myself thinking sort of like an immersive, um darkly fantastical way and just like everything seemed to have the, the potential and then I, I i i was reading or i listened to a lecture by alan moore and i was reading some other stuff it's just like basically the the idea behind you know like rational and irrational you know like um phenomenon and noumenon you know like what what can be grasped and the things that are like imminent with an eye that exists but like you can't that they're not tangible that you can uh, assess them in the way that you know like the modern rational material world assesses things i became obsessed with those things a lot of recovery is is people figuring out what their higher power is and so that was a big part your books are available on their... on amazon yeah yeah and you've been high 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 up in the charts as well so was it uh it was um top 100 i believe on every one and then like the highest i got i i got into the 30s i think with uh with uh a boy's hammer or maybe which, it was which on amazon is incredible because when i looked i looked earlier today and i was looking yesterday in the genre you're in there's something like thirty-seven thousand books and you're in the top 30 of that. It's just, that to me just blows my mind. But that's such an incredible achievement. Yeah, I was pretty fucking happy about it. Uh, <laughs> I, <think you> were. <laughs> I was pretty happy. Because let me tell you, the, fuck, the dread that you feel the first time you put out your first book, right? And you're just watching it live and it's doing nothing. You know, <laughs> the things that you can start to think about yourself are pretty good, pretty amazing, and they're not nice. Yeah, you know? I, I get that feeling every single week when I put out an episode and I sit there and go, <laughs> where's my listeners? Where's the listeners? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's brilliant. And it's, it's uh, I love talking to people who are creative, but they're creative. And when they put something out, they, they genuinely care. Because there's a lot of creative people who, who don't care as much as I care about the show and as much as you care about your books and as much as Mark cares about his review page. There's, there's a lot of content creators who, who just churn out content 
and they don't care if it's good, bad, or indifferent, and they just keep churning it out. And you'll not like that, which I think is great. Yeah. Well, those people are either liars or psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> like, for, for, for real. Like, if you're saying, like, I create art, the basis of art is human connection. You can say there's other stuff, but, right, the, the basis of art is, like, a, a creator and interpreter. And you're saying that the interpreter is not necessary. You're basically saying either I have no concern for how other human beings feel or I think that I'm God. <laughs> Please, God. This is God. Right, so this week we're looking at Drag Me to Hell. Um, Drag Me to the Hell is the story of why you should treat the elderly well. Uh, also highlights the dangers of playing with buttons. Uh, they're not only a choking hazard, they're also a curse concern. Uh, Sam Raimi and his brother Ivan wrote this together, uh, and it goes full evil dead crazy from very, very early on. Uh, strap in tight, because we've got embalming fluid throwing, uh, fly swallowing, ninja goat extravaganza to work our way through. Mr. Jacks, I was wondering if you'd made any decision regarding the assistant manager's position. It's between Stu and yourself. Stu Rubin, the new guy? Stu's someone who's not afraid to make the tough decisions. I'm perfectly capable of making the tough decisions. I'll let you know as soon as I decide, okay? Will you help me? Please. Okay. We have an elderly woman asking for an extension on her mortgage payment. We would have to throw her out of her house. We've already granted her two extensions. It's a tough decision. Your call. Another extension is out of the question. Where will I live? I'm really sorry. Never have I begged for anything. But now, I Mrs. have Mrs. I said Mrs. before Genesis, you, please. I beg you. Please let go. Please let go. Security! You shame me. Soon it will be you who comes begging to me. Someone has cursed you. He's the Lamia, the most feared of all demons. For the first three days, the spirit torments its victims. After that, it will come to take you. Take me where? To burn in hell for eternity. It's coming for me. Please listen to me. There is nothing coming for you. How do I get rid of this? I welcome. You can give the curse away. Right, so the movie starts in 1969 as we meet a young Mexican couple and their son rushing to the home of a spiritualist psychic medium, uh, Sean. Uh, they explain to her that her son has stolen jewellery from the gypsies and is now being tormented by a malevolent spirit. Uh, she tries to assist the family by having a seance and a cleansing ritual. Um, to say it's unsuccessful is an understatement. Uh, the boy is flung from a balcony um, and then dragged to hell by demonic hands. She then vows that she will meet this spirit again someday. 
if that was me and I got my ass kicked that badly by a demon, I would not be vowing to meet him again. I'd be yeah. to avoid him forever. That's, that's balls, man. <laughs> and it's like, you know. Uh, it, it, just that, that opening bit, I was like, really? Why? Why, why, why do you want to meet again? <laughs> every, every square off between the supernatural and a regular person in a horror movie reminds me of, I used to have a Monty Python CD-ROM and there was something on it where it was like, and now the world's heavyweight champion will box a seven-year-old girl. <laughs> uh, uh, that's pretty much spot on. Um, we now skip 40 years later uh, where we meet Christine, uh, a loan officer in a bank who's trying to get a promotion. Um, her boss, Mr. Jack, says that between, it's between her and the new guy, Stu, and she needs to demonstrate the ability to make tough decisions. She takes this knowledge and, and buggers off on her lunch break uh, where we meet her boyfriend, Clay, um, who we find out is very apparently madly in love with Christine. Um, also collects coins because um, she gives him a, a coin in an envelope. Um, his family thinks that he can do better. And Christine overhears a phone call with him and his mum where his mum's trying to set him up with someone else while she's there. It's like, Wow. Yeah, they do a very good job of displaying pretty early on that she's been kicked to the curb by pretty much everybody. Her boss is a shithead to her. Her partner's parents don't think she's good enough and everything around her sort of just seems like she's getting trodden on constantly. Yeah, it, it's it definitely sets up a dynamic where, like, you want her to push back. You know, it's not like the typical, you know, like... Run, get out the room. It's much more like, nah, you should, this, this you got to start standing your ground, baby. Come on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I like that dynamic in this. The fact that you, you root for her, but you're rooting for her to not really do anything. Just be a person and just dig <laughs> her feet in and go, no, fuck you. No, be nice <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, she goes back to work and she gets a chance to make one of these tough decisions as she meets uh, Mrs. Ganoush, um, who's asked him for an extension on her mortgage. Christine goes to ask her boss, who reiterates, it's a tough call. I'm going to let you make make the decision. What a dick thing to do. Yeah. 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 He clearly <laughs> doesn't have the personality to be able to deal with it himself. He's like, yeah, I'll just let you take care of this. That's That sounds like a bank manager thing because like everybody hates management. But but also like everybody hates bankers. <laughs> so, so like Ivan Ramey is probably like, let's double down on the dickery here. Yeah. <laughs> um, she she makes the decision and she says no. Mrs. Ganoush asks very nicely again, uh, please. It's kind of like, where am I going to live? What, what what's going to happen? Uh, and the uh, Christie goes, well, you, you've got your daughter. You could go and live with her, or there's assisted living facilities uh, and this then pushes mrs ganoush to throw herself on her knees in the most dramatic way and, and I, I beg you i beg you please 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 help me help me uh, she says no she's trying to grab at christine as christine's walking away and she falls flat on her face and this is where the movie all of a sudden takes a, a very sharp turn um, yeah. and she screams you shame me you shame me oh, man. Um, security tried to remove her and with that she lunges at christine and tries to attack her i didn't see this coming i genuinely sort of like whoa what the fuck yeah <laughs> it probably took me back when it when it happened 
Uh, and the actress who plays her is outstanding. Yeah, so her is, good. Her name is Lorna Raver, and I want to call her out by name because she she was phenomenal in this. Yeah, yeah, incredibly good. I've got to ask you both: Would you have granted the extension if you were put in that position? Fuck yes. yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I have too much of a conscience to be able to turn an old lady out on the street. If I couldn't, if I was trying to do it for promotion purposes, I'd even offer her a bedroom at my house. I was like, "Look, I can't give you the promotion, but you can come and stay with me for a bit." <laughs> I, I would be like, "Yeah, I got a room too, and uh, you know, I need some material for my new book." So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could tell you got something going on. Yeah. <laughs> That has misery written all over it, by the way. It, oh it, my it god, definitely does. <laughs> mis- mis- misery with the with like the occult Romani twist. That would be that'd be pretty heavy, man. That would be an amazing book. That would be that you're you're getting. We're giving you ideas now. Have you got a notepad? Are you taking ideas down? <laughs> well, I mean, we're recording, so I don't need to. I'm obviously going to go back and listen to this ten times a day. <laughs> um, uh, her boss, being the, the dick he is, compliments her on how well she dealt with that. Uh, and adds that all she needs to do now is close a, a big outstanding loan and the promotion is hers. Her boss is the biggest arsehole. They yeah. painted him so well as an yeah. arsehole. I hated him. Yeah. Instantly. That's but, also like, that's also worth mentioning. Like when so when someone can, when an actor can make you hate them, that you forget you're watching a, an actor playing a character. That's not nothing. No, it's, it's definitely not. I mean, Christine is pleased with the fact that she's, that she's pleased that someone's praised her, which I kind of felt a little bit sorry for her. Um, And she grabs all the paperwork for the loan and kind of hurries out to the car park, quite happy with herself. She's like, oh, I'm going to go and do this and then I'm going to get my promotion. Um, This scene is outstanding. Um, So you get a a real build of tension as she's going out and you can see Mrs. Gadash's car is parked opposite. And then you get the scarf that kind of, wisps across her screen, uh, her windscreen and back again and she's like oh and then all of a sudden I, I didn't see this coming first time I watched it Mrs. Ganache pops up in the back seat and tries to kill her yeah yes. and this is relentless as well this goes on for ages I mean this isn't a quick scene this is very very drawn out uh, oh. I just want to ask a quick question the car that Mrs. Ganache is driving that is Remy's signature car that he puts in all his films, isn't he? It wasn't it what, I, I, I don't care. Yeah, it's it. a Delta Oldsmobile 88. It's in all of Sam Raimi's movies, including the Spider-Man movies. Yes. Um, I'm going to take a punt and say it will appear in Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness as well. If a bookie uh, is taking bets, I would lump on all of my life savings on it, that it will be in that film. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would as well. Um, this fight scene is brutal as well. So that they that where they're fighting, they kind of she starts the car and tries to drive away. Um, they crash, and Mrs. Ganache like hits her face on the windscreen. And her false teeth come out. Oh, then, it's so good! And, then, and she's making the noises too, like <laughs> it's like that's that's like Sam Raimi Evil Dead style. You know, there's got to be like somewhere like. <laughs> kind of noise you know yeah, and she starts licking and snogging her face oh, it, was <laughs> rough, it really was off putting yeah it was it was gross <laughs> yeah well, we also what else do we get she attacks her with this uh christine attacks mrs ganache with a stapler and she staples yeah. her eyes shut <laughs> and I, then stabs her in the mouth with a ruler yeah. oh my god i this is straight out of evil dead this is sam raimi and his brother just having fun with what they think they can get away with 
Yeah, this yeah. is Evil Dead 2 all over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's so good. It it ends with Mrs. Gadash dragging her out of the car after breaking the window with a, a breeze block. Um, she drags her out of the car and snatches a button from her top, curses it, gives her the button back, and then kind of vanishes. <laughs> and before she leaves, she before she leaves, she's like, "You will soon be coming begging me. The roles yeah. will reverse, kind of thing." Yeah, kind of. I don't know if everyone felt the same when they first watched this, but I, I remember that scene ended and me sitting there going, "What the fuck just happened?" Yeah, yeah. it just yeah. Went, it went crazy for sure. It, it was like. It, it, and also, it's one of those, like, it's such a great horror trope. It's like, it's a, such a strong, it's like it's like one of the Stephen King tropes, like from, from Thinner, you know? Mm. Just like, like the, the gypsy's going to fuck with the, you know, the protagonist, but at the same time, it's just like, it turns out that the physical part was totally unnecessary, you yeah. know? It, it was just like, it, like, it, like, the, like Gadoosh was putting her on, you know? just to make her uncomfortable before she finally cursed her. Yeah, I think it's great. And what comes next is, so Christine leaves, they get interviewed by the police, and, and Clay, her boyfriend, takes her home. Um, on the way home, she decides she wants to have her fortune read because she's had a bit of a, a rough day, and I'm guessing that she wants to get a, an insight as to whether she's going to be getting her promotion or, or whether Mrs Ganache is dead or, or just some kind of... I, I think she just wants someone to tell her it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I love this scene because Justin Long in this is exactly how I would behave in this situation. Uh, do you know, I've actually got it in my notes that says um, just, Justin Long Clay responds to, the, responds to the psychic in the same way as Mark. Every time he <laughs> says something, he responds in a sarcastic manner. <laughs> <laughs> I just, as soon as he was doing it and the stuff he was saying, I was like, that's exactly what I would say. That is exactly what I would say. <laughs> but the, the crazy thing is she went there for reassurance and that's not what she got. Um, she got round basically saying, um, "You've got a demon attached to you, and you, you need to you need to get out. You need to leave." And from here, this is where the torment of Christine begins. This, for me, is one of the best representations of how I imagine a demonic attachment would work. So this demon first is heard. You can hear whispering. She's hearing noise. She's hearing voices. Then she's seeing shadows then it's infecting her dreams then she's hallucinating and like the dream she has where the fly goes does it go in her mouth or up her nose i can't remember it goes up her nose and then out through the other nostril before she finally swallows it yeah it comes back around again later on i mean when it went up her nose i was there and i was like rubbing my nose and itching i was like oh no i feel it oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, that tickling sensation you get. I was like, this is awful. Yeah, yeah. what I really like about this is they don't they don't hold up. So she's tormented for that entire first night. And she gets up and she kind of you could see on her face when she's got to work, she's got that relief that it's daytime now. This this shit doesn't happen in the day. Uh, where she gets the most incredible nosebleed at work and absolutely douses her boss in like evil dead levels of blood. Yeah, the <laughs> gush from her nose. The blood was huge overkill, but I absolutely loved it. I did as well. And when when a boss was stood back afterwards, I was like, "Who the hell has been massacred in this room?" <laughs> like he's literally covered from head to toe, like a scene from Carrie. Yeah, I love those scenes. I don't know what it is, but just like gratuitous blood. I I was honestly I was laughing so hard because like 
that's the that's the beauty of the Raimi movies. You know, it's like you don't know if you're going to be horrified or, or if you're going to shit your pants laughing. It, <laughs> it reminds me of like like the the scene in Team America where what's it like the the main character is just like vomiting and vomiting and vomiting, <laughs> and then like they pause and then the orchestra swells and he starts vomiting again. I love that film. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I do, and I I, I love. The Raimis do this better than anyone. This kind of so close to the line of what you can accept as a viewer. And then they push it just that little bit further. And then the second they hit that bit too far, they dial it right back. Right. And you yeah. you you come back into the movies. They take it to the point where you're like, this is getting, so oh, it's over now. And, yeah. and they've got you back. And it, there's not many people who do that. But after her, ridiculous nosebleed um mrs ganesh was right she goes to to see her so she gets the file and she sees that she gets her granddaughter's address so she goes to her granddaughter's house because that's a sh where she assumes she'll be staying after she's been thrown out of her, her own home to say this doesn't go well i think is an understatement um she gets there and mrs ganesh is dead and they're in the middle of her wake yeah <laughs> and she sort of stumbles in and falls over the the corpse to which she is fulfilled by vomit and snogging corpses and granny false teeth again. I mean, this is a reoccurring theme for this poor woman in itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, I've never ever in a movie before seen a corpse effectively jump out of the casket and attack someone without actually coming back to life through any supernatural means. This was just, she stumbled and then with that, the corpse was out and on top of her and you've got like, I don't know, embalming fluid coming out of her mouth all over it. It's going in her mouth and in her eyes. I was like, oh, man, this is awful. Yeah, it's very, very, it's rank, to be honest with you. That's the only way I can really describe it. Every scene that involves Mrs. Ganache is rank. Yeah. yeah it, it's not even nasty. It's nursty, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christine freaks out, as I think I would. Um, and as she leaves, uh, Mrs. Ganache's granddaughter goes... Um, you're going to get what you deserve. What's coming for you is what you deserve, which again, Christine freaks. And she goes back to see Ram, um, who goes, she basically goes to him and explains what's happened. He then explains she's being haunted by a, a demon called Balamia. Um, and he suggests the best way to deal with this would be to uh, sacrifice something, to make an offering. Um, Christine basically says no. Um, I'm a vegetarian, she says. Yeah, that, that's her reasoning. Yeah, if you've don't. got a demonic guy, Lamia... <laughs> thing coming after you fuck that man you're killing anything to get away from that also it's like it's like you know you know maybe you're uh, you know can't be so principled about your scruples when you like you kick some old lady out of her house but you're not willing to you know like, yeah kill a cat <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh which we're getting to that now so uh, when she gets home the um the lamia attacks her and, and launches all around her room uh, all around her apartment um, and this scene ends with her picking up a, a kitchen knife and calling her kitten. I mean, I have a few conflicting opinions about that scene because as the Lamia is coming through the house and stuff and the pans and all the rest of it start shaking, the blinds start blowing and you see the shadow creeping underneath the door, that looked absolutely phenomenal. But then yeah. you see this weird CGI thing break through the glass and the CGI in this is a very mixed bag, is it not? Am I the only one who was a witness to this? No, it, it, it is. It, it is. is, but it's also like I think that 
who knows? Who knows what the call was on that? So this is where I have a hard time because like a lot of times, you know, like even though Raimi, Raimi is, you know, well-revered was uh, even back then, you know, because I think he'd already done Spider-Man at that point. Two of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a producer could come in and be like, oh, we got to get CGI, you know? Like the, the other thing is like, it, maybe it's like cost cutting. I can't imagine how, but it was, it was a little, yeah. It yeah. wasn't the I best. I mean, for me, it, it was very contrasting throughout the film. Like there is some great use of practical work and some average use of CGI work, but when when the CGI is noticeable, it is very, very noticeable in this film for me. Yeah, yeah. we get on to more of the CGI later because I've got some issues around the um, the the, um, uh, the second seance. Yeah, there's quite a uh, bit in that. I mean, the yeah. napkin stuff early on already, which comes back around again. The napkin early doors at the fight scene in the parking lot. I know you touched on it earlier, but you didn't mention how bad it actually looks. No, it, it does, but... I, you know my thoughts on Raimi. Raimi gets a pass on a lot from me. I was going to say, this is why I haven't drawn too much attention to it, but I feel like I need to bring it up. But I yeah. know you love for Raimi, and I know you're going to give him a free pass on anything in this film. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll, I'll let you have the CGI. The CGI is not the best. Yeah, that, That's all you're getting. Um, <laughs> uh, when Clay gets home, um, Christine, Christine is burying her kitten in the back garden because uh, she's, now, she's now killed the kitten. Uh, you don't see this on screen, so if you're concerned about seeing that, you, you don't. He's he's flustered. He's like, "Are you okay?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine." And he's like, "You've got blood." She's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good." Um, and they go to dinner at her parents' house. Um, this scene is uncomfortable to the level of like meet the parents or meet the fuckers. Yeah, uncomfortable. I was going to say it's like as uncomfortable as guess who's coming to dinner? You know. Yeah, <laughs> Sydney Poitier. <laughs> like as a, as uncomfortable as a a nineteen sixties interracial family dinner. <laughs> very, very very much so. Um, and Clay's family are basically just they're so disapproving. Um, and she kind of there's a point where she manages to to fight all this off and she's making herself seem quite good. She's being really open and she's saying things that you wouldn't normally say at these dinners. And the mum's going, actually, she's got something about her. Um, uh, and this all falls apart when she spots an eyeball in the cake. Yeah. She jumps up and freaks out. And then the fly that went into her nose in her dream flies out of her mouth. Yes. Yeah. And they all think that the cake that she's brought to dinner is some sort of hick farmyard cake full of insects and books. Yeah. 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 And she leaves pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Uh, Clay tries to go after her. And her mum's line is, leave her be. She's very ill. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christine rushes back to see, to see Ram, the, the psychic. Um, and he says he knows someone who removed the Lamia for $10,000. I bet he does. Yeah, I bet he does. <laughs> you see, this is where I started getting real confused because I was sort of lost at this moment because I know she was like pawning all the stuff off and then Clay came back and was like, I've paid so and so and so and so. And I was just like, who is he paid? Why is she trying to sell her stuff? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so missing Ram, some plot points here. Ram said he knew someone who could get rid of the Lamia, but it cost $10,000. She pawns everything she's got and gets three and a half. Ah, um, uh, right, okay. Now she, I'm she, following now. She even goes to a... She goes to her boss and asks for an advance on her promotion. Um, yes, because this is the part where we find out she lost a deal because of her 
dickhead compare. And who, by the way, is a much more of a bigger asshole than her actual boss. Uh, right. Yeah, he is, because when she had her massive nosebleed, he stole the paperwork off of her desk and yeah. fed the information to a competitor, so she failed and lost the deal, and he then got her job. Yes. That's some prick. real underhanded shit. Yeah, he's a <laughs> yeah. prick. That's, uh, some real, that's, like, uh, that's like what we would expect a banker to do. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll, yeah maybe maybe he did deserve the job then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of well-suited to it, let's be honest, yeah. you know? <laughs> More than she is. When she decided, when she realized she can't get the money together, she goes home and decides to eat a massive tub of ice cream. Um, and then Clay comes to the rescue and goes, it's fine, I can see you're having a hard time. Um, I've got the $10,000 for you. Not for me. $10,000 is a lot of money, right? I am very skeptical skeptical about all this psychic shit. I would not be handing over 10 grand to anybody. Regardless, because he hasn't seen anything at this point. He's just madly in love with this woman who's having some mental issues as far as everyone else is concerned. He is happily handing over $10,000 to something that he doesn't believe in. What would you guys do in this situation? Um, if I had spare income of ten thousand dollars and it made my wife happy i would probably part with it very skeptically and then would analyze what's being done with my ten thousand dollars you're already <laughs> saying that because lisa listens back to the show this is what <laughs> <laughs> i would i you know i like my instinct would probably be be to do the same thing because it's like it's really not about the money it's about like you know if you if you're in it for the long haul you know, and you know it already, like you're in it for the long haul with this woman, you want to do something that shows like, okay, you know, like I might not be on board, but at its core, our relationship, there's like a, a strong tether of trust between us, you know? Think about what 10 grand could get you in Israel though, Alex. <laughs> oh my God. Are you dead? Like, I, <laughs> I, I went to visit my dad in Belarus and there, the, the average income over there is five grand a year. So like, I believe if I got 10 grand, I would do what my brother did, go over to Eastern Europe and see what kind of trouble that would get me into. It's like that movie Euro Trip. I don't know if you remember, like the guy, one of the American kids tips the hotelier with a like a quarter and he and he smacks his boss and says, I opened my own hotel now. From here, we get probably the most bonkers Sam Raimi can get in the next couple of scenes. And come this point in the movie, I am fully on board for Sam Raimi just to completely let loose. So Clay takes Christine to the person who can remove the Lamia. Um, and it's Sean from the beginning, the, the lady who vowed she would meet the Lamia again. Um, That's she, what I was going to ask. Is that the same person? It is. Uh, and she right, was okay. so excited to meet the Lamia again that she charged $10,000 for the privilege. <laughs> I was going to say, so this is a woman who has been waiting the majority of her adult life for vengeance, but she's charging for it now. Yeah. Just because she's been angling for vengeance her whole life, that doesn't mean she's not a capitalist all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, I've seen her how. She does not need 10 grand. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, the other supernatural thing that we're not, uh, we're not talking about here is the invisible hand economics 
Ah. <laughs> That's my dad joke. That's fair. That, was, that was some pretty weak sauce right there. Uh, uh, no, we can put the tumbleweed back in here as well. Don't worry. No, I, 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 I like might, crickets. I like I, crickets. I, I might move that to the beginning of the show and replace mine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel honored by the weakness of my joke and your acceptance of it. Um, now, a lot happens in a short space of time here. So th this is the plan. So Sean is going to get the Lamia to possess her. Christine then has to get her to touch the goat that they have prepared earlier to move the Lamia from her into the goat. Sean's assistant is then going to decapitate the goat, killing the Lamia in the real world. This is all going pretty much to plan until the fact they forgot to take into account that the goat is a ninja and yes. dodged, dodged the blade coming in. And it's like a proper... It's not like the goat jumped back. This is like a proper duck and dive and then spun its head around and bit the assistant's hand. I was like, that's great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is this is the most Evil Dead 2 scene in the entire film. I mean, it's just balls to the wall, silly and and absurd and, and, and practically it looked fantastic and, and the humour is a perfect balance. I mean, this is a shining moment of the entire film for me. Yeah, I, the, the Lamia bites the assistant. Um, the assistant then becomes possessed. Um, he then summons demon flames onto the table and begins to dance on the table. He then jumps off the table and gives Christine back her cat that she sacrificed by vomiting it up and throwing it down. Yeah. <laughs> she has vomited on again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and he says that, I don't want your cat. I want your porker soul instead. He's persistent. I'll give him that. He is. Um Sean snaps out of the trance. Um, she casts a powerful spell, which banishes the Lamia back to, to where it came from. She immediately dies, literally seconds after doing this. She is dead. Um, I'm going to point out now, she's really shit at her job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she should not be charging that level of money what she does now. No, she, she, she's fought the Lamia twice. The first time a, a boy got dragged to hell, the second time she died. She needs to find a new profession. She is not practicing in the off-season, clearly. <laughs> She's definitely not. Christine believes now that it's all over, um, and she's quite excited. Oh, it's finished. She's not bothered that Sean's died. She's like, oh, great, it's, it's done, I'm okay. Uh, and Ram points out that, that it, it's not done. She's banished the Lamia away, but the Lamia is still going to come to get you. Um, I didn't tell you this before, but there is a way you can, you can end this curse. Um, the button that is cursed that you have that you can't get rid of, uh, you can by gifting it to a to someone else. If you give that to someone else, you give the curse away. I love um, this. Brilliant idea. I've got to yeah. ask you: if that was you, would you give it away? Yeah, I could give you a list of at least ten people now that I would happily hand that over to. I got to do. Yeah, I got. I got. <laughs> yeah, I got. Yeah, I, I got a couple people. You know, that wouldn't I, be in my possession for any longer than thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I definitely have a person in mind, and it's not one of my brother's wives. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope she doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> oh no, she wouldn't listen to anything that doesn't have to do with Real Housewives. So we're. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, she deserves it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I would give it away as well in a heartbeat, it, even if I wasn't that 
hating of the person. If it just got rid of it, I would give it away. And I know that sounds horrible, but tough shit. It's a it's a rough world. That's that's how it would go down. Yeah, yeah, the scene exactly. that follows from this is really cool though, because you go on to the diner from this point on. And she sat there and you can see the way she's scoping out the room and she's looking around everybody and she's sort of checking out who they are, what they're about and whether they're deserving or undeserving, should I say, of taking it. And there's a scene in particular where she looks over at the old man who's clearly unwell and she's she's building up the courage to go and give him the button. And then she realizes as his wife, elderly wife, comes over and you're like, oh, no, you can't do that. So she has a change of heart. And this is when she calls back ultimate knobhead from beginning the guy who took a job and this yeah. is really cool yeah and but she doesn't give it to him she bottles it yeah because he has a meltdown and you can see that he's just an absolute weasel yeah it, he is and she she's speaking to ram again about what she can do and she asks if she can give this to a dead person um and ram kind of confusedly answers well you can if you you can gift it to someone within the Jewish community, because that is something that gifts are given to the dead. And Christy then goes, oh, great. Um, so she goes and digs up Mrs. Ganache. Um, <laughs> and th- this scene, I think, looks fantastic. Where she's dug the grave and they're shooting from the coffin's perspective up and the rain's falling behind her and the blue light, this looks yeah. stunning. It's um, phenomenal, phenomenal use of cinematography. Really, really good. This seems brilliant. Uh, yet again, she gets attacked by the corpse. Um, she reaches down and shoves it in her mouth. And this is Ganache, like, manages to get latched onto her and pulls out a chunk of her hair. And the, the grave what? is filling with water. It's brilliant. Why does she always, every interaction she has is with Miss Ganache, she always takes a chunk of her hair, whether she's dead, alive or not. I'm like, this woman must be bald by the end of this film. Like, <laughs> I, I thought this was going to come around full circle, but it never wear, it never has any. Wear point. a hairnet, you know, tie your hair. It's like, <laughs> nobody's learning from experience. <laughs> uh, but she manages to get the, the button in the envelope shoved in her mouth and she escapes the, the grave before it floods. The following day, she's at the, the train station with, um, with Clay. Um, she's got a new jacket on, and Clay's like, "Why have you got a new new jacket?" And she goes, oh, uh, the, "The other one uh, makes some kind of it." She's so, "Oh, it's a shame because I found your button." Whoa! No, but that's the reaction we should have all had. But for me, as a movie watcher, I think they just spent too much time focusing on the way that he put the coin in the envelope at the beginning, and the focus on the the mix up that happened in the car when she dropped the envelope. I was like, I know exactly how this is going to pan out now before it's even got to that scene, and I was disappointed. I feel like they should have just made such a casual scene of it early on, not even really focused on it the way they did, and then maybe even done like a little flashback kind of thing the way films do in that sense. Yeah, and I, it would have been much more impactful at the end. Yeah, I, I think the problem is, I think with movies like this especially horror um the vast majority of directors and producers go with the assumption that the audience is stupid and yeah, there's, yeah. there's this horrible habit of spelling things out um this is which, just too much too much for me it, it is too much but what comes next i guarantee you didn't see coming no, I actually didn't. I, didn't. I knew <laughs> how it was going to happen. I just didn't know how it was going to um, end. <laughs> so she freaks out and stumbles backwards, uh, taking the, the button. Uh, she falls onto the train tracks as the train's about to run over. I was like, oh, we're going get to a, get a squished by a train. Um, but she doesn't. As you're looking down underneath the train, you see hell open up and demonic hands drag her to hell. 
Um, and that that is the end of the movie. And the re- whole reason they called it dragged me to hell. They saved it right to the end to hit you with it. Yeah, I like that. It was a cool touch. I mean, I like the way also that it kind of made it look like she had committed suicide, but Claire was the only one who actually witnessed what happened. So he's going to now have to live with the burden of knowing. And even if he tries to explain it to anybody, they're just going to assume he's mental. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's tied up very neatly. I, I would like to see another one of these. That would I'd be like, pretty cool. I, I'd like to see a sequel. I don't know how they'd make that happen, but I, I'd like to see that. Um, let's find out what you all thought of this. Them. You delivered them. It's this week's free reviews from the listeners. So, three word reviews this week. We've got Pennywise We All Float, a brilliant movie. Uh, Michael Audrey Myers 18, That Damn Button. Uh, One Sunny Day Media, not that fun. Scream Time 1996. Under fucking rated, uh, Queen Ghoul 13, complete utter shite, um, and finally, Cannibal Christo, you shamed me. <laughs> um, a, a little bit about our three word reviewers. So, we've got uh, Pennywise We All Float, who's a horror account. Uh, we've got Michael Myers, Michael Audrey Myers 18, who, funnily enough, is a Michael Myers fan account. Uh, One Sunny Day Me, One Sunny Day Media is a movie reviewer. Uh, we've got Scream Time 1996, who's a horror blogger, uh, who also interviewed me a little while back. So if you go to their page, you'll be able to see the interview that I've done with them. Uh, Queen Ghoul 13 is a horror account. And finally, Cannibal Christo is a horror account and movie reviewer. Um, now we've done that, I think it's time we play a, a little game. Um, so we're going to go play a new game called Book or No, uh, which, funnily enough, is purpose for this episode as we have an author on the show <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> uh, so this game is i went and scoured the web for some obscure book titles um and i'm going to give you the book title and all you need to do is tell me if it's actually a book or if i've completely made it up so you both game for this yeah, yeah. Right, i've got this let's play what you go let's play Okay, so the first one is All My Friends Are Dead. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to say that's a book. That is a book. It's a dark comedy by Avery Monson. Um, How to Raise a Jewish Dog. Yes, I have that book. Do you really? <laughs> Fuck off. No way. I swear to you, there's a picture of an uh, English Pitbull Terrier on the front. I gave it to my mom for her birthday. There is. <laughs> uh, that is brilliant. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's the chance of that? So that is, uh, this is a book that has make-believe rules on how to raise a, a Jewish dog by Barbara Davilman. Uh, we've got, the next one is... The man who mistook his wife for a hat. Yes. No. How do you mistake your wife for a hat? I think it's, a, I think it's about mental disorders. It is. It's, it's a factual book about neurological cases by Oliver Sacks. All right, you're going right. to nail this. No, I'm just going to say whatever <laughs> Alex said. Uh, uh, question, uh, question number four. Uh, number four, uh, go the fuck to sleep. Yes. Uh, the audiobook narrated by Sam Jackson. 
It's actually written by Sam Jackson. Uh, It's a a bedtime book for parents who live in the real world uh, by Adam Mansack. Can be found narrated by Samuel L. Jackson uh, on YouTube and various other. It's fantastic. Yeah, Um, it's incredible. It's it's really amazing. Uh, I think I may have actually played it for one of my children once. Yeah, I was just about to say you can play it for your children, but please bear in mind every sentence ends with. That's great. Yep. I think it's wonderful what you're doing, kids. Now go the fuck, the fuck to sleep. <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> uh, and with oh. Samuel L. Jackson narrating that, it's amazing. Uh, next one is how to teach quantum physics to your dog. Yes. No. That is also a book. Uh, it's a fictional <laughs> tale by Chad Orzel. Uh, right, next one. Uh, we've got two more. So this one is cat flexing. A Cat Lover's Guide to Weight Training, Aerobics, and Stretching. Yes. I yes. have seen some pretty hench cats on the internet. Yes. You go with yes. Okay, that, that is also a book. So this is a book <laughs> which is has joint exercise regiments for you and your cat to do together. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, it, and it's by uh, Stephanie Jackson. Uh, the final one is, if the devil made you do it, you blew it. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have to happen again. I'm going to say no, just for the heck of it. I, actually, I really believe it's not. I'm, I'm going to I'm, get back. I'm, I'm going to say yes, because I feel like every single one of them has actually been a book. So I feel like, I feel like yeah, I feel like this is a book. This Purely is, just based on repetition. This is also a book. Um, so Amazing. this is a, a teenager's advice book from, the 90, from 1989. Uh, helping them overcome temptation, uh, for example, overeating cookies, uh, cheating on a test, or killing a policeman, all covered in this ah! book by Lorraine Peterson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because yeah. they're all within the same category of, <laughs> of level. I, I just want to point out, we started this podcast asking how I could go from a heavy metal band to being a law clerk, okay? Yeah. If you can go from miseating cookies to killing a police officer. Obviously, <laughs> anyone, anywhere can jump from anything to anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason they were all books is I made up four or five and then Googled them to check they weren't books. And all of them were books or near as damn it a book. So I gave oh up. My, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, some, of the, some of the stuff I come up with was like just random shit out of my brain. And then I would look to it. Uh, someone's written a book on that that's uh <laughs> um so th- that's that's book or no uh which turns out they were all books uh into facts this week it's time to find out what you know about this movie and what we know it's facts Um, So as we mentioned earlier, this is uh, another movie that features the yellow Delta 88 from the Evil Dead, Spider-Man 1, 2 and every other movie. Um, It's the most used cast member by Sam Raimi next to one other person, which is Bruce Campbell. The car has more appearances than Bruce Campbell, but only just. So has Um, that been in every single film that he has ever put to screen? Yes. Did he do Spider-Man 3? Yes. And it's in that as well, yeah? Yes. So... Yeah, no bookies taking my bet on where he's in Doctor <laughs> Strange, are they? <laughs> no, it, it's in every every movie he's done in one way or the other. So there's a couple of movies where the entire car isn't there, but like the front fender is there or the front 
uh, end of the car has been damaged and it's sat on the side of the road, but it, it's it's everywhere. Um, the license plate of uh, Mrs. Ganesh's car uh, is nine 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 five one. Where if you turn it upside down, reads is six six six. Oh, that's cool. Uh, uh, on the way to the cemetery, uh, Christine says, "I'm going to I'm going to oh, I can't even speak. Uh, I'm going to get some." Uh, which is reference to Ash's line, come get some, in The Evil Dead. Yeah. Uh, before directing, before deciding to direct this himself, uh, Sam Raimi approached Edgar Wright um, to direct this movie. Um, he pushed really hard as well. Uh, Edgar Wright said he couldn't do it because he was recording, he was filming Hot Fuzz, um, and also threw in that he didn't think he was the right director for this movie. Oh, I disagree. I thought he would be phenomenal with this script. Uh, yeah, I don't understand because it's like it seems like horror comedy and like the sensibility and, you know, like to be able to if anyone's able to honor Sam Raimi, you'd think it'd be Edgar Wright, you know. This is so catered to Raimi's sort of style of filmmaking that I think anybody else who would come in to try and mimic that would then be compared so if Edgar Wright had directed this note for note as the script is currently, everyone would just be like saying, oh, you're just trying to rip off Raven. So I feel like I can understand why he would have taken a step back from this unless he was given creative control to do his own thing with what he felt needed changing throughout. Right. Although yeah. you, can, you can do Raimi without just directly aping Raimi. I mean, like um, Slither. Is director wasn't that Sean Gunn? Is, is, uh, is it Sean Gunn? Is it? Is it Sean Gunn? No, Sean Gunn's his brother, isn't it? Or am I losing my mind? No. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, James Gunn. James Gunn. That's it. Yeah. yeah. His brother James Sean was in all the Guardian Galaxy the films. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah Sean Gunn's uh, the his uh, uh, motion capture go to. This is the only PG-13 rated horror directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, I don't know how this got a PG-13 rating. This is only PG-13. No way. <laughs> Is only PG thirteen. Because uh, you, you guys crazy. don't get it. It's it's the dictum. It's uh, the South Park movie dictum. This is how ratings work in America, right? Just remember, horrible, deplorable, deplorable violence is okay as long as nobody says any naughty words. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine this was only a, what's our equivalent of PG thirteen. It's a twelve A, isn't it? There's yeah. no way this is twelve A in the UK. This has got to be yeah, well, no, no, twelve really? A. Yeah. Yeah, wow. they, they, they dialed back the, so the, the issue that they had when they first put the first cut in, there was lots more blood in it. So Raimi dialed back all the blood and submitted it. He basically done exactly what they told him and submitted it again. And because they were so focused on the blood, lots of the other things they weren't as focused on that they might have picked up on. And then when he resubmitted it, they had nowhere to go. They couldn't go, oh, actually, no, this. Because he, he said, well, no, you gave yeah. me the list. I removed it. That is now PG-13. So it was kind, kind of a bit of a technicality. This film is Justin Long's second horror film. Um, Long's first horror film was Jeepers Creepers. And he's done two horror films that followed this. So he'd done Afterlife and Tusk. Uh, both. In fact, I like all of those movies. Christine and the boy at the beginning of the film both scream, help me, as they are dragged to hell. Uh, Christine screams it in English while the boy screams it in Spanish. Um, but there'll be no screaming for help. Um, no screaming for help will help you at all with what's about to come next because it's time to play Broken Spirit. I told you, I want to play a game. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. The power of Christ compelled you to 
give you ten to its eyes. Well, it's elevated horror. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. You're going to like it. I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. I was at the slaughterhouse. All right, you primitive screwhead, listen up. Oh, I know this one, Bob. Right, so time for Broken Spirit to potentially take a, another victim. Uh, the rules are simple. Uh, it's 15 questions. Uh, there's no assistance. Uh, 10 points per question. Uh, you can walk away with your points at any time. Um, if you get a question wrong, the game stops. You lose all your points and you walk away with zero. Um, currently at the top of our leaderboard is Robbie Horror. who uh, got two correct answers, so you're on a, a total of 20 points. So, Alex, are you ready? Uh, in fact, before we do, are you ready? Uh, you can make a choice. Would you like me to quiz you or would you like Mark to quiz you or would you like us to take turns? You know, I, I take turns. Let's do a round table thing. Yeah. OK, well, Mark, I'm going to let you kick it off this week. Yeah, no problem at all. Right. So starting with question number one, what was the cursed item in Drag Me to Hell? But that is correct. Ten points. Okay, so question number two. Uh, who wrote the 1981 movie An American Werewolf in London? John Landis? That's correct. Another 10 points. You're on 20 points. So you're currently tied with our leader, Robbie Horror. Yeah, so no pressure with this next question and feel free to walk away at any point. Question number three. The Hollywood remake of The Ring was released in 2002. When did the Japanese original titled Ring come out? This would be pure guesswork. 1997? You shamed me. <laughs> 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 Game over, unfortunately. It was 1998. Wow. Uh, <laughs> phenomenal uh, display, though. Well done for the guess. I, I can't believe how close you were. Um, so that's Broken Spirit taking a, a, another another victim. Um, Alex, you scored zero. Uh, don't worry, you're in good company. You're in company with Mark uh, and Horror Review Girl and Lady Crisis, who've all been on the show and all scored a, an equal zero. I, I I feel honored to be amongst such an illustrious group of losers. <laughs> yes, this is it. We're starting our own cult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the No Homers Club, but it's the No Robbies Club because he's got points. Yes. <laughs> Alex Grass, zero points. Um, the question is, will anyone stop Broken Spirit? Uh, or can anyone even get past five questions? Uh, so moving forward, we've got quite a few episodes where we haven't got guests on it, as you know from, from the show. It's, it's episodes where it's just me and Mark. Um, so I'm going to throw something out there now. If you are listening now and you think you can take on Broken Spirit, go to our website, youranpodcast.com, click on the button where it says record us a voicemail. Record me a voicemail saying you want to come on and you want to just take on Broken Spirit. So not come on as a guest and do a whole episode. Just do the quiz. And if you want to do that, I'll take you up on it. I'll bring you on the show and we'll see if you can do it. So if you're a, a horror fan who's listening, going, I've got all of these right. It's easy. Call into the show, put your money where your mouth is, and I'll let you have a go at it. Open challenge. 
definitely open challenge. Come um, get some. Yeah, <laughs> <Get a little laughs> love it. <laughs> um, as always, uh, you score the movies. Uh, the listeners score the movies. Uh, you've scored Drag Me to Hell a seven out of ten, uh, which is a, a, a pretty good score for this movie. I love this movie. As I said earlier, there's I make no attempt to hide that I love the wackiness, the goofiness. I love the fact that Raimi doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't give a toss what people like or not. He genuinely doesn't because no one no one likes the scenes where Mrs. Ganache is drooling in the girl's mouth. No one likes that. And he knows that. And that's what <laughs> makes him so good. I prefer this to the vast majority of his other movies. Um, and at the risk of getting some backlash, I prefer this to the original Evil Dead. It's not as good as Evil Dead 2, but I prefer this to the original. It's also Lisa's favourite horror movie. Um, so this is a, a regular watch for us. It's one that we go to and watch as a couple if we want to watch a horror movie. This is a solid 7 out of 10 for me. I, I, I really like this film. See, I came here fully prepared to sort of rip this apart. <clears throat> um but for one reason or another, since I found out that this is only a PG-13, I just, I don't know, I seem to have a new light and perspective on the film. I feel like given that this was a, an 18 or a hard R, this could have been a much darker and more impressive take on the story. Because um, the story itself for me was, was pretty incredible. I was, I was engaged, I was fully on board on it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I had major issues with the CGI throughout. But knowing that it was constrained if that's the right word or, or held back in terms of the brutality and the gore and the violence and the language not that i need foul language to make a film but knowing that it felt very reserved in that in that sense <clears throat> kind of made me have a little bit of a different opinion on it <clears throat> it's not going to affect my score this is still a three out of five for me i had a good time with it and i enjoyed it is it going to be a regular watch for me i very much doubt it but the, the Raimi aspects were there I just don't feel like they were fully fulfilled where they could have been. So maybe if this had been given an 18 rating, it would have been a much better film. You know, I've watched this a couple of times and um, it's a fun movie. And uh, I think it's like the kind of movie you can sit around with a buddy and like really have a great time. You know, like if you were going to introduce somebody to horror, this would be a good movie to do it. Um, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say four out of five, honestly, because um, I think like if someone came out with this movie and like Sam Raimi didn't exist and you didn't know about Sam Raimi's work, people would, would be like, wow, this is very, this is real cool. I, I think if, it, if you got like a fresh impression, you just saw a movie created like this, like people take for granted the uh, capability of, you know, like the, the uh, more expert horror directors, you know? See, I can kind of counteract that a little bit and explain to you that I had seen this before I knew Raimi's back catalogue of work, and I thought it was just fucking weird. I didn't get it. I didn't get the humour. I didn't get the sense of direction that it was going in, and I, I, I genuinely wasn't looking forward to to reviewing this again for the show and stuff. But since watching throughout the whole Evil Dead back catalogue and whatever else Raimi has done within the genre... I can appreciate it a lot more. My score has massively increased based on my knowledge of him as a director and the films that he's produced. So, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Well, then I'm going to be as persuadable as an underling at a bank desperate to claw her way up the ladder. <laughs> and my answer to one out of five. <laughs> uh, uh, so those are the scores this week. Um, 
next week we are off to Woodsboro uh, for one of the only remaining Scream movies not covered by the show, uh, Scream 4. Uh, we're going to be joined by Angel from, from Voices of the Mausoleum. Um, she's got some very interesting horror takes. Uh, me and Angel agree on about five movies total. Across every movie we've discussed, there's about five we agree on. Mark and Angel are going to agree on probably a tenth of that, if we're lucky. Uh, if she's uh, a Rob Zombie fan, she might make it to the end of the episode. Uh, it, it's going to be a really good episode. Uh, she's got lots she's going to bring to the table. Her horror knowledge is is wide as well, so I'm going to predict a attempt for the top spot in Broken Spirit. I reckon she's going to try and take Robbie. Nice. So we, that, need some, we need some heavy hitters coming on. So Yeah, her horror knowledge is, is broad and delves into lots of things that uh, I've had conversations with her where we're talking about stuff from the 1930s and she'll hit me with a fact. I'm like, shit, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I, I, th I think she's got a good, good shout. And we're doing Screen 4, so next week is a very, very good week. Um, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to come and spend with us and, and talk shit about horror and uh, about your your past and your your books uh, i'm i'm happy to uh, i had a i had a really great time and uh you know as always i want to apologize to my wife who's going to listen to this sorry <laughs> <laughs> no that's a good note to sound off on <laughs> yeah um, uh, go and buy alex's book go and go to amazon go and look at the the synopsis of the, the books that he's written but buy one you don't need to buy a, a paper copy we, we live in a, a paperless world if you want to download a, an ebook but go and give alex a read um I, I have downloaded a copy of the book today uh the it's the lantern what's the lantern one called i keep forgetting the black river lantern black black river lantern so i've downloaded a copy of that which i will be reading um because I, I i read a lot but i tend to I think like most people who read a lot, I get stuck in a, a niche. So my niche tends to sit with Stephen King and Clive Barker. Um, oh, a good fucking niche. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, though, if I get stuck for like, oh, I want to read something, instead of picking up one of the new books that I've been bought for birthdays and Christmas, and I've got all of these books, instead of picking up one of those, I go, oh, I'm going to read The Shining again. No, I'm going to read Dot to Sleep again. And it's just that, that, I can't get out of that habit. So I bought your book and I am going to read it because I do want to break that habit. I, I don't know, man. That's like, to me, that's totally permissible. <laughs> it's just like, I'm going to read The Shining again. And like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, go and go and buy one of Alex's books. Uh, go and show him some love and support because he's he's come on the show and he's, he's given us all a, a good time and some stories that I'm sure his wife's going to tell him off for later. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh Thank you so much to everyone who listens. And if you're a new listener to the show, uh, thank you for, for joining us. Um, don't forget you can help support the show by going, it's really simple. Go to Apple Podcasts or go to Spotify and just hit five stars. It's really that easy. You're listening to us on that app now. So open the app and where you've got the stars right underneath where you're listening to, just tap. It's really simple. Uh, and that bumps us up the charts and it, allows more people to find us and lets us grow and lets us become a bigger, better podcast and bring you new content and more frequent content. And eventually maybe one day a Spotify deal where I get to do this full time. I don't have to go work for someone like that boss in the bank. Yeah. 
<laughs> unless unless Spotify comes to you after you're out there, it's like, listen, uh, it's between you and another show, so we're gonna need you to, you know. And then like the next interviewee comes on, you're like, what's her? What's your background? I'm a Romanian. <laughs> yeah. they, they will be getting a button in the post if that's the yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll catch you all next week. Yeah, thanks everyone. See you next week. Thanks for having me, guys. You want to die tonight? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the You Run Podcast. Don't forget, to get involved in the show, all you need to do is head to our website, yourunpodcast.com. This is not our show. This is your show. <laughs>